Support for Lillo Podcasts comes from listeners like you who are masking up, washing their hands, and looking out for one another. DC for you. Hello, welcome back to DC4U. Unless it's your first time, then welcome to DC4U. And we've got a special treat. This is not, we're not going to call it season two, although it kind of is. We're we're back, and this is DC4U Rebirth. My name is Todd Weber. I've been the co-host of this series from the get-go, but the originator, the man who had the idea, the man who had the dream and the impetus and who asked me on board he is alongside with me, of course. His name is Russell Sellers. Hi, Russell. Hi, Todd. We're back. We are the, back. It's been, the first been a minute. Time ever. <laughs> yeah, um, we're, we're on our new home, the uh, creator-owned Lillo podcast platform, if you will, and we're figuring out the kinks and getting it uh, where people can download the shows and listen to them. And, but what's nice is the shows aren't going to go away when – when we're up and running as far as all the, the platforms we hope to be here on Lillo, I'm and you know, if, if you're listening to this on iTunes, congratulations, we made it. Um, we're trying trying to Looks set that like up now. Made it. Yeah. Um, but we're here on this uh, August evening and we're here to talk about a show that premiered and started, uh, was announced with the onset of the DC Universe app and streaming service, and that show is called Star Girl, created by Jeff Johns, uh, based on a comic book from 1999 that he wrote, and he is the executive producer of the show. So this is kind of like the you, Jeff's baby, if you will. And uh, we'll, we'll get to why that that is significant. Uh, but Russell, uh, you and I both watched Star Girl, and uh, I watched it every Sunday night at 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. Um, like clockwork. We watched it. We needed uh, family viewing, and I tell you what, it was pretty family family appropriate, family friendly for the most part, um, and the production values were great. But my 10 year old, this was his favorite show this year, and he he loves the Flash, and we don't let him watch Legends, but this this is a show that he. Uh, really took to and related to the characters. Uh, were you, did you binge it or what did you do? What was your, your modus operandi? Uh, well, my inner 10-year-old absolutely loved the show too. Uh, so I was watching this every week. Not uh, not on Sunday nights, but usually what would happen is uh, I'd come home and since we're still doing the uh, – uh, stay away from crowds thing since the you know we're dealing with this stupid pandemic still and will be for some time it seems uh, I don't go to the gym anymore I have to work out at home and I was like a little bored uh, just working out in silence so 
uh, I set up a little space in my living room and every, uh, Tuesday I would come home and be like, all right, it's, uh, it's upper body day and it's time to watch star, star girl. So I would, uh, flip on the episodes and watch it, uh, as a way to time my workout as well, because the, uh, episodes are around, uh, 45 to 50 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's about a perfect amount of time for me to get everything done. And, uh, I find myself like just, like, you know, you do the motions like muscle memory kicks and you do that. But then I'm just watching the show and I'm like, man, this this is the kind of DC show I want to see. This yeah. is, is it's yeah, it's family friendly. That is, you know, is what it is. But it's so well done with the characters. Like you feel like this is everything that a feel good uh, comic book action show should and could be. It's. It literally had everything that I could have asked for uh, in one of these shows. And I'll tell you, I'll I'll be honest. I came into this show with pretty low expectations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, as did I. I, Based on the trailer and hype. Uh, I mean, I I have confidence, of course. Uh, Everybody knows that uh, I am a Jeff Johns fanboy. I am unabashed in that. I, I make no apologies. But... Even with his name attached to it, he's developing this. He's developed other shows. Uh, he helped uh, develop The Flash for television, and that first season was uh, one of the best like, seasons of any show ever, uh, in my humble opinion. And I was like, okay, well, he's he's doing this again, Stargirl, and this is a character that he uh, co-created uh, with uh, artist uh, Lee Moder. Yeah, Lee Moder. Um Notable for working on Wonder Woman in the 90s. Yeah. He, he had a long run on Wonder Woman and worked with uh, Legion of Superheroes, Legionnaires. So yeah. name name from the 90s. You don't hear his art anymore, but it is nice to see Stargirl created by Jeff Johns and Lee Motor. So he's getting his yeah. uh, credit at least. Oh, absolutely. Like it's Every time the, the credits roll are, are shown in this uh, show, his name is right there alongside Jeff Johns. So – it's it's cool that he's uh he's getting his due credit absolutely uh i gotta be honest though i do not dig his artwork um <laughs> it's, that, it's it's uh yeah. What, yeah it's an economy model of of its time i mean there there was other great artwork in the 90s but uh you can tell it's just kind of i don't want to say rushed that's that's kind of not fair kind of simplistic no, and it no, is it, dynamic and conveys her youth but it's i'm not the biggest fan of it myself either you know what it looks like? It looks like uh, caricature art. That's the the thing that I can compare it to uh, most readily is the, those uh, street artists that you see out. Mm-hmm. They say, "I'll draw like a, a a self, or I'll draw a portrait of you," and it comes back with like you have like a like giant teeth and yeah, you know, uh, well, a huge, a huge head. That's what his art kind of uh, reminds me of. To, to be fair, um, that was kind of. I won't say it was all across the line of DC in the nineties. Cause you had, you had some amazing stuff coming out from guys like Daryl Banks and artists yeah. like that. Uh, Howard Porter on JLA, probably my favorite, favorite art of its time, but you had books like young justice too. And sometimes yeah. when they draw the teen characters, they emphasize the cartoony aspects of it. I, I can see that at least uh, legionnaires too, with the focusing on the lean, the, the teen book, Jeff Moy, did that with the uh, the look of those characters, but yeah, going back and reading those comics from the late '90s, uh, it, it, 
if you want maybe a more representative look, read about Courtney in the JSA and the Jeff Johns later. Because the Dale Eaglesham art and guys like that did fantastic jobs with with uh, maybe more of a, a realistic look at heroes. Uh, I would say that is a uh, a for sure thing, and not just the uh, the artwork uh, when talking about differences between. Uh, the comics, but, uh, but characterization is a big thing with me. And when I was watching the show, uh, I have not read the, uh, the stars and stripe comic that it was pulled from, uh, when Courtney was actually known as the star spangled kid rather right. than star girl. She wouldn't adopt right. that name until uh, much later. Uh, the show of course skips a bit and <laughs> yeah, we, we, the, we, Skip a whole generation of Starmen. Yeah, like the we don't really talk about uh, any other. Like we talk about one other Starman uh, with Sylvester. Like he's the only Starman who really gets mentioned in the show. Uh, in the comics, of course, they go into the the lineage of it. Like you get right. Jack and Ted Knight and uh, her Jack ties. Knight's brother David Knight and yep. yeah, I mean it, it goes way way deep. Starman's a character that's existed. Literally since beginning of the JSA, you know, the late 30s, early 40s, and one one version or another. And then Steve Ditko did a version of Starman. Uh, there was the Will Payton Starman that people forget about from the 90s. There was this really weird, I can't remember the artist on him, but they, they've, they've owned that name and they've wanted to use it throughout the years. They even used, and this is a shout out to my friend Mitch, uh, Star Star Boy from the Legion of Superheroes. They turned him into Starman for a while too. So yeah, this is a, a legacy thing. But she was always, or at least initially, the Star Spangled Kid. And we we should talk say there will be some spoilers, but you can't talk about her Courtney without really talking about uh, Pat Dugan, her stepdad in the show, uh, who is Stripesy, aka S T R I P E. Stripe, the robot, or uh, I, I don't know what you, you describe him as, uh, a mech suit that he wears in the show. But he uh, dates back to the 40s. He was the sidekick, or as he explains in the comic, uh, the bodyguard to Sil- Sylvester Pemberton, the star-spangled kid from from the 40s. And that's a legacy character that um, was kind of parallel to the Starman mythos, but they when he, he was brought back in the 70s, and I, I, I don't want to be too mansplaining here, or old guy <laughs> talks about comics, uh, when Star Spangled Kid came back with the, I believe they were called the Super Squad, in a Justice Society reboot in All-Star Comics in the 70s, you had him, you had the new Robin, or at least the adult-aged Dick Grayson Robin, and then they introduced the Huntress and Power Girl. So kind of a, a, a significant period because you had these Earth 2 Justice Society legacy characters coming through. And so... Stripesy wasn't part of that, but Stripesy was identified with um, the Seven Soldiers of Victory and and obviously the Star Spangled Kid, and so that sets him up to have this. He had, he had like all this. Uh, sorry for the like. Say I try to cut down on on filler words like that. Uh, I just did it again. Uh, but uh, Pat Stripe had all of this blank canvas that Johns was able to work with and create this uh, tapestry with Courtney and this family set up the dynamic in a very, very creative way of using, and, and this is a Jeff Johns thing, 
uh, using untapped potential of characters, uh, gifts for later writers, if you will. Yeah, he. Uh, that's really Jeff's greatest gift is that he can take a character that most people wouldn't look twice at or a character who could be considered, uh, quote unquote, damaged goods and reclaim them in a way that brings them back to or gives them the star power that maybe they had <laughs> fun that they mm-hmm. always should have had. And uh, Stripesy, I think, is uh, is certainly one of those characters. He's a he's not somebody that, you know, I could really tell you all that much about uh prior no, to his time, not his much time there. Before. yeah yeah there's there's nothing there's almost nothing at all there he's a he's a blank as you correctly pointed out he's a blank canvas character and johns took that ball and just ran with it uh giving him a pretty big personality and he is really i think the one character that i can say from page to screen uh like who he is on the comic book page to who he is on the television show played very well by uh, Luke Wilson. Yes. The personality is pretty right on. Like I, I would say that the version, like as I was reading uh, stars and stripe uh, on DC universe, it struck me how different a lot of the characters were, but he was not uh, this version of Pat Dugan was very much the same character from the comic to the television show. And that's, that's a rare thing. Uh, most of the time you see big changes or at least some kind of like subtle personality shifts or just little things that are different when a character moves from page to screen. Uh, but that didn't happen with him. It, it was like, okay, uh, Luke, it felt like Luke Wilson actually read these comics and then brought that character to life. Uh, yeah. So big kudos to him. Uh, he was not somebody that I have a lot of confidence in as uh, as an actor. No, <laughs> no. You know, got... what was the best thing he had done before this? Uh, I maybe don't know. Wes Anderson films, which are very polarizing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, he's, he's still not somebody that I think that we could call like one of the great thespians of our time. But this role felt like it was really made for him, and he he did yeah. such a great job with it. Uh, he's he's very believable in that uh, well-meaning stepfather role, uh, but also as a guy who's caught up in the old mysteries of the past. You know, he's he's yes. that guy. Uh, yeah, he he loves uh, maybe he has a little bit of the Jack Knight thing. He loves the things the, the way they used to be the uh, the old cars, the old ways, um, living living in the past, maybe. Maybe there's a, a deeper thing there with him and missing the JSA, uh, the camaraderie of that, um, not not moving on. But he, you know, I would say he was kind of a an all American guy. He is yeah. <laughs> he he is apple pie. Um, but nice. at, at no time does Luke Wilson Natalie Portman this. You know, he doesn't yeah. act like he's better than the the material. He really buys in, and uh, yeah, I I think. Jeff Johns, when he wrote Stars and Stripe, was evolving as a writer and developing, uh, but that character was kind of fully formed. Courtney grew. I think the Courtney, if we can pivot, um, the Courtney that we get in the show is a little bit more like the Courtney of the uh, Justice Society of America book that more around the, the turn of the century, um, 21st century, that is, the, y, the Y2K era JSA that Jeff Johns 
and and is my favorite Jeff Johns property. I know you guys are all the uh, the Green Lantern purists, but I, sure. I'm, I'm a JSA guy because I'm older. So I, I think the way that she grew and, and felt, and maybe he he fleshed her out a bit. Um, that that's to me, she is the character. She really is. She may not be the character from Stars and Stripe, but the character to me of Stargirl from JSA and in cameo appearances and things like uh, Jeff Lemire's Justice uh, Justice League book that he did, she was in. Um, maybe a little bit older version of Courtney. I I liked Breck Bassinger a lot as this character, and you know she she is uh, one to watch. Uh, absolutely, she is incredibly talented. Uh, athletic as hell too, which was another yeah. like, big thing for this role that I didn't expect. Like I knew it was uh, potentially demanding, and I was—I'll be honest—I was very, very worried that the CGI <laughs> on the show was going to be real bad. Uh, oh, oh because, have you watched Titans lately? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what uh, I was meant to expect. Or, or but they—they they let this show percolate a bit too. They kind of—they they announced it, it, and then it—they really took their time to get it right. Uh, not only that, but they. They hired fight coordinators who really were good at their jobs, and they allowed uh, or the uh, the cinematographers deserve a lot of credit too because they actually like backed up and steady cammed the whole thing so you could really get sucked into the action of it. Uh, in particular, any of the fight scenes involving Sportsmaster and uh, Tigra. Mm-hmm. Tigress. Uh, Tigress, Tigress. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, yeah the, that's okay. Well, she used to be known as the Huntress, actually, yes. the, that character. So they've They've done a, a shift on her. She's a, but um, we should also talk about those two characters, uh, Sportsmaster and Tigress, because if you read Young Justice or watched the cartoon, uh, they have a daughter named Artemis, and who, in in this scenario, we don't know if she's going to be a villain or a hero. She's kind of um, maybe a, an un, untapped potential for season two. Absolutely, there's. I mean, this show, that's one of the best things this show did was it committed to the idea that it was going to get another season, that it was going to get to tell more stories. And boy, did it set up so many story threads for it for it to play with later on. But before we get to that, there is a lot more to cover. Yeah, yeah. there there is something I wanted to talk about in terms of uh, character differences, about especially about Courtney. Uh, Rick Basinger makes the character almost instantly relatable and then very quickly, very likable as the, uh, as the show's main protagonist. That's a far cry from what I can say about uh, star girl or uh, hmm. the star spangled kid on the comic book page, because I was about seven, eight issues deep on a 14 issue series. And I was still waiting for this girl to be likable. I was still waiting for me to actually like want to root for this character. Sure, she would do nice things occasionally, and she had some great action scenes. But man, was she awful to just so many people around her for no good reason. And well, that was that was how it was going for a long time. And I was like, oh my god, this is definitely not Jeff's finest hour. Uh, mm. But but credit where it's due, this is clearly an idea that was not done cooking by the time Jeff yeah. brought her out in 1999. But instead of just saying, nope, this is the character as she is and as she will be, Jeff kept developing this character. He kept changing her and evolving her. And eventually he came to this idea of, 
well, what if I got to do this character over again? Would I do it differently? Clearly from the pilot episode on through this first season, the answer to that is yes. Jeff would have definitely have done it differently because he did. The The character is, is much more uh, relatable. Like you understand her plight and her reaction to it. Uh, but she's not like the version of the comic I was going to say is a brat. And the version of Courtney in the television show is, you know, a kid who's feeling really lost and who hasn't yeah. felt like that. You know, that's yeah, dad issues, and um, boy, boy, are there dad issues there. Lots but of them. There are some times where she uh, lashes out and acts in a bratty manner, but at no time do you think that it's just um, a, a trope of being being a spoiled brat. We'll, we'll save that for Shiv later when we talk yeah. about her. Um, <laughs> the, uh, another great villain for the show. Uh, yeah, like, absolutely. And straight like from the, the Stars and Stripes series. Absolutely, she was. And that's that was something that I noticed just whenever I was I was going back and reading the, the comic versus the show. I started noticing like all the little things that they pulled from those uh, mm-hmm. from that solo, that first solo series for uh, for this first season. Uh Lots of little things, lots of little ideas that it was like, okay, Jeff took this idea and took another swing at it and came up with a better idea. Yeah. And it works really well on screen. But uh, one of the things that we should tell people is that uh, you watch this show and you get really interested in it. You want to go check out uh, the Stargirl comics, which I would actually encourage people to do uh, because you can see an evolution happening and it's uh, it's really something to watch. It's it's Jeff Johns becoming the the modern master storyteller that he will be uh, right about 2004. You can see it happening, especially towards the end of Stars and Stripe. But uh, the ideas, like the characters that you see on the show, don't necessarily appear in the comic books. Like there is no injustice society right. uh, whatsoever in the comic. Uh, that's probably over in JSA. But there is uh, the Dragon King. Dragon King does play a big role, and that's something yeah. that uh, I very much appreciate. Like now that I can see it, uh, like comic to screen, it's like okay, Dragon King was a big deal. He's the main kind of. I guess I can spoil mm-hmm. this for the comic. He's the main yeah. villain. Yep. Yeah. Uh, everything uh, arcs around him, and while each issue of the comic or like one or two issue arcs are in there that almost feel like standalone issues. Uh, including uh, an alien invasion issue, which reminded me of something that uh, uh, Lee and Kirby did in Fantastic Four back in like, uh, I don't know, 66 or something. Right. Uh, that, it, it was very much like a Skrulls thing. That's what it reminded me of. It was the first appearance of the Skrulls. And so I wonder if that was part of a bigger DC crossover or a mandate, because sometimes they have to shoehorn those in. You know, it wouldn't. I would love to find out more about that. I need yeah. to research it more and find out if there was something else going on there. But I was – The truth is out there. We, <laughs> we uh, should talk about um, the differences in her powers too. Yeah, the one of the big changes uh, on screen is that Courtney gets the cosmic staff uh, right from the jump, and that's what right. gives her the abilities uh, to be Stargirl. Uh, she gets uh, flight uh, – uh, this cosmic uh, energy manipulation, and I would say it probably enhances her athletic abilities a little bit too. Yeah, um, you know they, they explain it's got an aura that protects her, and yeah, it's, 
what, what I did not expect was it to have a personality on screen. That was probably the best change they made from page to screen was the comics, the cosmic staff having a personality that she could play off of. Uh, that was something that, you know, was an idea that I, I could say that was an idea that maybe Jason Aaron came up with over mm. in the war, whenever he made Mjolnir have a little mm-hmm. bit more sentience and a personality. Uh, but man, is that such a great way uh, to give Courtney a, a new depth, like a, something new to work with uh, within the confines of the show. It's like she's got, uh, you know, this team around her, including this, uh, you know, maybe inanimate object that also has a mind of its own. Right. And that's that's a really cool concept, which Jeff could also have pulled maybe from Green Lantern uh, with the the rings having a, a little bit of sentience or a well, hint of sentience to them. I feel he's a, a lot – he, I'm calling this the cosmic rod, the cosmic staff, a he. Could be a woman, I don't know, or, a, or could be non-gender. I don't, I, regardless, uh, I, I got the – Magic carpet from uh, Aladdin. The, yes. The animated Aladdin vibe, kind of, kind of the same thing, and and literally flies her around. But yeah, uh, in the initial comic, she's just got the anti gravity belt. I think it's called, or, or As the, she inherited uh, from the, the, the original Star Spangled Kid. Yeah, the cosmic converter belt. Uh, <laughs> as as you correctly pointed out, it's the uh, Star Spangled Kid's uh, original belt. It's been passed down. It gives her uh cosmic power uh or cosmic power mm-hmm. manipulation uh but also yeah, kind of her, ambiguous her, yeah <laughs> yeah it's a very ambiguous power but <laughs> whatever you need uh, to uh she mostly generates these uh stars out of herself that uh cause like electrical disruption whenever they hit things also they can be used as like regular throwing stars but it also uh enhances her uh strength and agility uh reflexes and stuff uh things of that nature uh and this is something that uh they don't do on the show they they skip the whole no. uh cosmic converter belt and just go straight to uh the cosmic staff which was uh in the hands of starman or uh uh i'm drawing Michael, a blank on Sylve- sylvester <laughs> Yeah, Sylvester right. Pilmerton uh, was the star man before her, right? Uh, or the star person before her. No, now. They, they call him Star Man in the show. Um, I I just don't remember him ever being Star Man, although he was connected to the legacy of the Knights. And I remember him being the Star Spangled Kid. And then briefly in the '80s, in a series we'll talk about a little bit more when we talk about our uh, supporting cast, he was Sky Man in Infinity Incorporated. So uh, yeah. he lost the mask, you know, he, uh, they, they aged him up a little bit and he was Skyman. So they just kind of said, you're Starman now. We're going to tie in this legacy because we're telling the story of Courtney. So let's, she ends up being Stargirl in the comics through a lot of different things. Uh, Jack Knight basically bequeaths the title to her and it's a bit, it fits well. I mean, she's, we we've already seen her on screen in three different iterations. She was on Smallville in a yep. Jeff Johns directed episode. She was on Legends of Tomorrow with the Justice Society, and and now she's got her own show. Three different actresses, three different slight interpretations. But mm-hmm. I, I think they're they're doing a good job. Uh, pardon me for pulling from wrestling of getting the character over with the general public. 
you know, that's seeing the visibility on her. No, that's a, a great way to put it. It's a, uh, she is definitely going to get over with the audience. Like if people watch this show, I don't see how you wouldn't have a, uh, a good time with it, especially if you've been watching some of the other, uh, let's say the Berlanti CW right. universe, like the DCW universe, uh, like arrow flash legends of tomorrow, especially the legends of tomorrow. I think that audience is uh tailor made for, uh, this show is tailor made yeah. for them. Uh, if you if you enjoyed that, you'll definitely like this. It's it's got all of that uh, mystery and intrigue of a a classic Jeff John show, and then it's uh it throws in the uh, the morality conundrum uh, near the end that I didn't see coming. I was kind of like as they're revealing the injustice society's plan, it's like where are they going with this? Right. What exactly is their <laughs> their end game? It takes forever to actually open that up it's like okay these are the bad guys and you know they're bad and they're pretty obviously bad but then whenever it's revealed what their ultimate plan is it's like oh um boy that's tough right yeah that's that leaves you in a very uh very deep moral conundrum yeah it's almost like thanos you know (laughs) the the Um, best villains are the ones who believe they're right and uh, can almost make you understand and relate to them and say, well, you kind of got a point in, in some places. But, uh, you I, know, the, the you, cost would you, be too high. <laughs> too many people would ultimately die. Yeah, the uh, the methods are the problem. It's, like, it's not their goal that's the issue. It's the method. And that's where, you know, the story ultimately winds up going. And it's it's a really great way to kick off this show, but uh, it, it's also very clearly a way of backdoor piloting a JSA show. Yes, or just down the road, you're going to have to flesh out season two, season three. Um, there's a lot of JSA they can use. Boy, I would love to see them expand the universe, especially with some of the heavier hitters that aren't really talked about, but they are seen, if you get what I'm where I'm going. Yeah, we got uh, hints at certain characters such as Jay Garrick, uh, the Flash, mm-hmm. and uh, to uh, the original Green Lantern. Uh, right, Alan Scott and Hawkman. Hawkman is there as well, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And of course, the original, uh, the original Wildcat and the original Hourman yep. uh, uh, and Doctor Midnight. Uh, Dr. Midnight, uh, voiced by Henry Thomas. Henry uh, Thomas from E.T., yeah. And from um, uh, The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, see, that's uh, you're, you're on, off on my Netflix. radar here. <laughs> uh, he was uh, – he made a big comeback on Netflix recently uh, in The Haunting of Hill House, uh, which was a really great uh, series on Netflix. If you're into horror, I very, very highly recommend it. It's very – creative very inventive series and incredibly well acted so uh go check that out but henry thomas uh i believe he maybe appears briefly in the first episode as dr midnight yeah i believe Uh, that's that's the case but then he is just the voice of dr mid of the original dr midnight uh through a pair of goggles for the rest of the series but uh but man he was good at it like i really loved hearing his uh his enthusiasm and that voice just uh the way that character is played and by the way of uh, the dr midnight that they have for the show dr midnight too she's really really great yeah beth uh, chapel is one of the funnier 
one of your characters on the show and that, that legacy aspect of the JSA, which is what JSA is all about. You know, you have this earlier generation and, and boy, I would love to see a show about them. <laughs> I would love to see their, their adventures, you know, the uh, original Wildcat, Alan Scott, Jay Garrick, that, that's, that's pie in the sky stuff, you know? Yeah, it that's is. Not, but, but uh, maybe we'll get more flashbacks or times past type stories because uh, of another character who who was introduced at the end of of Stargirl and was briefly mentioned. Um, we should talk a little bit more about the Injustice Society too. They're opposite numbers because they don't, you know, these are ni- World War II concepts. But obviously, they're saying the Justice Society is more of a team from the '90s. If they're they're going to be honest, you know, if, if we're if we're dealing with time and reality. Uh, their adventures would have taken place in the 90s. And so your Justice Society team, we we basically have kind of the, the greatest hits of the JSA. You don't have all all of them, but you have enough. You have the original Flash. You have the original Green Lantern. You have Hawkman, uh, Hawkwoman. You have Dr. Midnight. You didn't see Mr. Terrific in there. I was wondering if you would just because – that's that's a character with a legacy, um, mm-hmm. but we also had you know we had Wildcat, the Ted Ted Grant. <laughs> I always say Ted Knight and Ted Grant. We had uh, Star Starman as played by Joel McHale, the uh, Sylvester Pemberton character, and I don't know and Johnny Thunder who uh, was kind of kind of the mascot of the team, but he has the, an all powerful genie at his disposable, and that's a char- disposable at his disposal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm out of practice here, but um, I would love to learn more about the JSA. I, I, one of my first uh, hair goosebump moments was when they find the JSA's old lair, and you realize, no, they really are uh, going to acknowledge the Flash and Green Lantern, and there's a Green Lantern on DC Universe and on the CW. You know, we, we, these shows were initially broadcast on DCU, but uh, they were rerun or or also run as CW shows on a couple nights later, and season two is going to be exclusive to CW if I am am reading this right. So yep. yeah, I just love that we have this big universe. It doesn't we don't know exactly how it ties in with the uh, post crisis multiverse of the other Berlanti shows, although we did see that one scene, Earth Four or whatever they're calling it. Uh, for, at the post post crisis scene of the uh, the crisis on Infinite Earth series, yeah, it seems like this is this is all its own Earth. Uh, yeah. It's not likely to interact with the others unless they do some other yeah. rejiggering to to bring it all together. Because I mean, all the other CW shows uh, are on the same Earth, so this will be the uh, I guess the only one of the Berlanti universe that occurs on its in its own reality and mm-hmm. is telling its own Titans story. too, I guess. Cause he, he is. Yeah, a producer from Titans. that's right. Uh, Titans and doom patrol. Uh, I didn't doom, know he was involved with the show. Uh, but, uh, Titans and doom patrol of course will be exclusive to HBO max whenever they return for their next seasons. And, uh, Stargirl will move from DC universe over to the CW and then ultimately to HBO max for, uh, like the, streaming of her series at the end of the season now one of the thing or another thing that 
I think has served this show so well is that they put the story first. Mm-hmm. That, that was one of the most important things uh, to learn for a superhero show of this caliber is you had to make sure that your story dictated how many episodes you did. And it's one of the negatives of the flash and legends of tomorrow and black lightning and supergirl and will likely be one of the negatives of uh, the upcoming Superman and Lois Lane TV show is there are going to be too many episodes per season and it's going to take away uh, from their budget uh, uh, priorities. They're, they're, what I mean is that on uh, on Stargirl, you only had like uh, I think it was what ten I think it was ten episodes. Uh, ten or the thirteen. Uh, thirteen episodes. Thirteen, 13 episodes. Yeah. Uh, but in that time, like they had, you know, a set budget. And while I won't say that the special and visual effects are like major movie studio quality, they're not far off though. Yeah, uh, the fight the, scenes and the 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 meta fight scenes I think were really well done. Yeah. All of that is very well done. The, the CGI only gets a little wonky here and there, but for the most part it is uh, cohesive. It is consistent and it is quality. That is something that's a big deal for shows like this, because as these shows go on, as we move into a new generation of storytelling uh, with superheroes on television, the effects have to be able to keep up with them. And that's one of the things that I'm critical of shows like the flash for, because it feels like their effects are not keeping up with the pace of where the Mm. show wants to go. And it's starting, it's starting to become a bit of a hindrance. And I think one of the biggest uh, hurdles for them is they are over committing themselves to too many episodes per season. They're using a lot of money to film these episodes where they could cut it down and cut out a lot of filler, cut back to about uh, 13 episodes like Stargirl did here, but keep your budget the same and you'd wind up being able to pump more money into uh, making your uh, visual effects look a lot better. And there's, uh, as we mentioned before, my philosophy of just throw enough money at your problems and they'll go away. (laughs) Well, I think having a shorter season allows for the creative focus to really, you know, there's no wasted time. It's like uh, back in the day, here we go with Todd and wrestling fans. There, there was WCW Nitro and there was WWF Raw. And WWF Raw used every second to propel the stories forward. Nitro was just kind of a bloated mess at times. Um, a longer series, longer season, um, three-hour shows versus two-hour shows. And not Raw versus Nitro, say 1997, no contest as far as the quality, um, as far as the storytelling. Anyway, um, so I, I think if you look at Stargirl and compare it to, say, a show like Legends, there may be a fairer comparison because they're both shorter seasons. Um, and and the plot goes exactly where they're, they're going. They don't give you these done-in-one stories that barely move the main uh you know, every year on Flash, there's an over-villain. There's a, there's a big bad who is the, the momentum for the entire season. And when you have, say, 22, 23 episodes, there are going to be some where you have the done-in-one episodes, but they still have to tie that thread in. 
this was all about the Blue Valley threat with the the icicle who we haven't even mentioned yet, the kind of the main villain of the Injustice Society and Brainwave, their plot with the, again with uh, Dragon King. Everything was moving this forward to the end, and uh, just very very well done. Again, no fat; it was all lean. Yeah, and that's that's what I feel like our superhero shows need right now. They need focus. They need to really drill down on getting rid of some of the fat. I mean, sometimes those episodes can be fun. I'm not going to you know, say that a one-off episode here and there, you know, like give yourself right. a good Christmas special or uh, uh, bring back the Thanksgiving episode for God's <laughs> sake. The, the, I feel like we don't have a show right now that's doing Thanksgiving episodes really well. Barry's uh, bachelor party. We need, we need more of that. We need, yeah. We need yeah. Drunk Barry. We ha- yes, exactly. Like well, that stuff needs <laughs> to be factored into the show anyway, because those are really good, fun, creative decisions. But you know what we don't need? A two-episode arc of the Bug-Eyed Bandit. Mm. We don't need that. We we really just we or, don't care. Or a Thea episode. <laughs> uh, we Yeah, certain characters just certain just shouldn't be given that level of focus and if obviously if you are writing an episode and you say to yourself man this is really important for me to get done because we need to have another episode in this season maybe stop and realize the answer here actually is you don't you don't need another episode in the season if that's how you feel about it as you're writing it and or if the people are like you know the people in charge are like oh we need 23 episodes to fill our season no you don't you no. need to just tell a good story. And honestly, it would allow for more shows to exist if they would do that. If they well, would... and the, the Netflix model or the even the HBO model is a 10 show, 10, 10 episode, 12 episode max. And they, yeah. the, that's where that's where the money is. But the network model is keep your show on for half the year. Um, and then you have these weird interminable hiatuses there are hiatus. There's the word where they're just figuring it out i i guess we're channeling a lot of frustration with the cw and the way they run their shows yeah it's it's network television in general it's you know you're hitting the nail on the head there bubba the the whole idea of the way the network platform is done just uh is outdated that model doesn't work in the modern era especially with uh with streaming uh they need to just cut back on that and realize that if you create a space of about 10 to 13 episodes uh, per season for these shows. Yes, you will run out of show before the season is over, but there's that wonderful thing called mid season where you can allow new shows to come out. And I think that if you develop more shows and give people more variety, they'll be even happier. They'll be like, Oh, this show ended and won't be back for a while, but Oh, look, these same people are making this other show within the same universe that I can go enjoy. That's cool. I'm going to go do that. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really curious to see what the future of the uh, CW-verse will be because Arrow is finally done. Uh, yep. We don't know what's going to last past this next season. Batwoman is in utter turmoil. Supergirl, she's having a baby. What's going on there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Superman and Lois is just getting off the ground. Plus, we have all these COVID restrictions for filming. Um, the pandemic affected the season finales of, well, definitely The Flash. I don't know if it, uh, I didn't uh, stick around and watch Batwoman or Supergirl, but it, uh, it, it definitely it affected, cre- affected. Okay. Uh, that was, 
and it continues to right the the pandemic uh hasn't gone away and it doesn't look like it's going to anytime soon so we're we're all dealing with that and right. uh and these shows included so there's talk that you know they're going to get to filming at some point with new uh filming restrictions on but you know if somebody gets sick on set they'll quarantine the whole thing and shut it all down and it could be very costly for uh for these studios so here's hoping that they don't have to deal with stuff like that too often that their uh cleaning protocols actually are effective because i think if this gets any worse if they have to keep like shutting down production over and over again uh it could cost us another couple of shows and i mean and legends of tomorrow is teetering as it is yeah you mean you brandon routh is gone uh, what what is Legends of Tomorrow after this year? It's it's uh, Constantine and and still you know you still have Ava and uh, White Canary. Yeah, you Sarah still got Lance. Us. But I don't know. I I, I have faith that that show is still going to be great just because they always find a way to make it entertaining and even the characters they've created for the show uh, some have been hit and miss, but. I just I like that that particular level of goofy and even I would say racy or, or uh, naughty at times. That show yeah. show is pretty pretty grown up. So it's, it's I fun. just wonder about the ratings. Yeah, I'm not sure that the budget for that show, uh, when compared to its ratings, and especially if it starts dealing with too many issues from the pandemic, uh, would be able to survive. So that's. That's a big question mark. Batwoman will probably survive on for at least another season, and then we'll see how it does uh, with this uh, radical change in direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, given what happened to Ruby Rose on the set of that show, I get it, and I fully, I'm in full support of her like stepping away from the show and the way they're trying to handle it, uh, because injuries like that are no joke. You need to take actual time to heal up and to make sure that you're not jeopardizing your entire career yeah. uh, for one show. And that's, that was the smart play for her. And I know that it was probably a really awful and tough decision. Uh, and let's hope that something like that doesn't happen on star girl, because you've got a lot of, uh, <laughs> of young actors, like even younger actors on that show who do seem to be doing uh, some of their own stunt work. And, Man, I got to tell you, watching those fight scenes with uh, Sportsmaster and uh, Tigress, that was badass. But yeah. it was also like, man, there seems to be like a lot of potential here for somebody to get really hurt. And I trust, I trust the Arrow action team, the Arrow fight team. They just they they do such a good job with those those choreographed fights. And I'm not the action connoisseur, but I I sure enjoy. Uh, like that home invasion scene that they had was, oh, was just so good towards the end, yeah. second to last episode, I believe. Yeah, that that was a really kick-ass fight scene. I would say that uh, the first introduction of Sportsmaster and Tigress, like the first mm-hmm. time they show up in costume and they take on the entire or the young JSA. Uh, wow. Well, uh, we should that, say reintroduction because there was the big, yeah. big pilot fight scene with the entire JSA oh, sure. versus the – which we don't we don't know who is who at this point you know at that point when we're watching yeah. it yeah it's, that was a I mean that was a cool scene and everything but it was very CGI heavy at yes. times yeah it was and murky <laughs> yeah it got it got a little yeah murky is a good word for it um, maybe intentionally so though just so 
You didn't have all the 40-something-year-old guys saying, oh, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Oh, hey, wait, I just described myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, it's episode six called uh, aptly titled The Justice Society when Sportsmaster and Tigress uh, show up and literally just beat the hell out of uh, the mm-hmm. new the new JSA. And it is so freaking good. The the fight scenes were like just had my jaw on the floor. I was as I was coming into that episode, I was like, all right, I see this coming. I see a, a fight scene coming up here. I'm going to go ahead and lower my expectations so that I'm not overly disappointed by this. And then I was like, okay, uh the arrow team, if they were not the ones who choreographed this fight they should probably be trying to up their game because that was real good. Uh, not, not since uh, I think it was uh, one of the later seasons of arrow. There was a good badass hallway fight scene that was, uh, that was done incredibly well or pretty much anything from season two <laughs> involving Deathstroke. Uh, uh, all of that was really great. This was on that level or higher. Uh, I, I'm very high on the, uh, the hand-to-hand fight scenes uh, in this show. And I hope that's something that continues on for the duration of it. Uh, yeah, I I am worried that with the jump to CW that you won't have as much time put into the editing and the uh, the production as you got with this season one. Sure. But Jeff Jeff is saying, no, no, don't, be, don't worry. Everything's going to be great. Uh, he did. And, you know, that's... I have faith in Jeff Johns. I know that he's uh, he's been under fire a bit lately uh, from from some folks, but uh, the man has developed some really great properties, and he continues to. Uh, and I think that Stargirl is a is a real proving ground for him because this is him uh, working from the ground up, mm-hmm. uh, working on a, a character that he created, and. Trying to make it as good as it possibly can be, at a time whenever uh, you know there's some there's some real struggle going on at DC. It's going to be a rough couple of years, folks. But uh, yeah, the the platform that this show premiered on will probably not exist in its current form in a, within a few months. Uh, so long as they leave us the comics library, I'm yeah. happy. Oh, and, gosh, Jim, and, and Jim Lee seems to think that that's what's going to happen, but we'll. Uh, We'll find out uh, very shortly, I think. Uh, but this is a quality show. That's the most important thing: is that yeah. it's a quality show that is bringing, is giving a lot of voices that you know might not necessarily get uh, you know as much love as they deserve. Uh, one another cool thing about this show is that longtime Starman writer James Robinson mm-hmm. wrote an episode of this show. Uh, he yeah, wrote, and he was a producer all throughout the season, so yep, that's a, uh, that's very encouraging. Uh, that Jeff is bringing in people like that, and uh, another uh, little cool Easter egg: actress Leah Thompson directed an episode of this show. She directed uh, the first part of Shiv that uh, showed uh, a uh, recurring character, Cindy. Uh, being revealed to be the uh, the daughter of Dragon King and to be a super villain in her own right, and she is actually uh, the arch nemesis of uh, Star Girl in the comics. Yes, and you know they they I think maybe updated that character a bit for the 21st century. 
Oh, for um, sure. In 2020s, but I really enjoyed. I thought she was pretty effective as a uh, a mean girl, if you will, uh, Cindy Burnham. Oh yeah, she uh, she played that mean girl role incredibly well. Uh, you don't necessarily think of her like as I was watching the show. I didn't think that she was going to turn out to be a, like a full blown supervillain. Uh, but no. But when it happened, I was like, you know what? Yeah, this this works. She's a she's a supervillain now, and uh, she has some pretty badass little fight scenes of her own. So hey, good on them. They have they have created an effective heel that you want that you actively want to see bad things happen to. Mm-hmm. And that is Boy. a strong testament for this show because a lot of times I feel like in the modern era we we root more for the villains than we do for the heroes. Right. And it's nice to have a show where that classic hero versus villain dynamic is switched back to the well, way that it's supposed to be. I will say she has um, a little bit of vulnerability and some some perhaps some things that you can go – Man, I feel bad for that character because her father was just <laughs> literally tortured her. Um, yeah, but I'd say that the adults of the show or the villains are the, the ones who are really, I won't say one dimensional, but the ones who are full heel all the way through. And she, she, I think, boy, there was a time where you thought, okay, maybe this character will turn a little bit or. Courtney will rub off on her. They played up the friendship between the two of them. Uh, yeah, very briefly, something that definitely doesn't happen in the comics. Uh, and I yeah. appreciate I appreciated that addition because I thought it gave uh, another level of evil to uh, to Cindy uh, yeah. whenever uh, that twist is happening. So uh, excellent writing uh, on the part of the show to, to give her a new dimension like that. And uh Speaking of like villain kids that you feel really bad for, mm. uh, brain we're going. Yeah. Brainwave Junior, man. Uh, <laughs> the, like at first you think he's gonna go full dark side, but then whenever he doesn't, and uh, you know is is trying to be good, like he's trying to yeah. be a hero, and man, he you know pays the ultimate price for it, and it's like Jesus, this that was a a tough episode for me. Like watching that happen, I was like, my God, this, this show is not, you know, playing. They're not afraid to kill people. They're not, they're not playing with gloves. Right away with the uh, wizard and his son too. Yeah. Yeah. Like all, all of this society. Yeah. uh, They're, they're not afraid to, uh, to go dark at times. I think. I I will say that the, um, the the wizard and his son uh his son's death scene is probably the worst cgi on the show <laughs> was that the bus that was the bus on the bridge yeah. uh the yeah. icing over the bridge. i was like oh no <laughs> that happens pretty early on in the series too that's like episode two uh, or three yeah yeah I, yeah I think it was yeah i think it was episode two um yeah uh when icicle like ices over that bridge and as you're seeing it happen you're like Oh, did they forget to finish this? Because <laughs> that looks like, um, yeah, you could have done that back in 1992. And so, I, I've seen visual effects from 92 that hold up yeah. better than that. Yeah, it was like something out of the old Superboy uh, live action show. Jesus, there's. So, yeah, there you know, I think I think I think we're onto something. Uh, but Brainwave Junior has his origins in the uh, 80s. All-Star Squadron spinoff called Infinity Inc., which is a uh, 
legacy book, you know, the, the sons and daughters of the justice society. And he was the son of an injustice society member. And, but you also in that book had the new wildcat who shows up in, mm-hmm. in star girl. You had the new hour man who shows up in star girl and you had the new Dr. Midnight. So a lot of their ideas came from Roy Thomas's, uh, infinity incorporated just kind of updated characters maybe made them a little younger more of teen heroes instead of early 20s heroes we still have some other next generation people who might be out there i'm, I'm wondering if what they're going to do with that lantern i really am man man if they want to pass on the legacy from alan scott to a, a new green lantern uh but using this version of it instead of the the spacefaring mm-hmm. green lantern man I think there's a lot of potential here for Jeff Johns to really like get into a new playground, like a new era of storytelling that uh, only somebody like him is suited to do something like this. So if he wants to play around with that, maybe even introduce uh, a flash legacy character for Jay, Jay Garrick, like introduce new characters based in this version of them rather than in the, uh, the, like the silver age forward, like go back to that golden age and create legacy characters for them and just see where it goes. Create your own new DC universe landscape that could, and I would hope spin off into other shows. Uh, lots and lots of potential there, uh, including like bringing back some, uh, some concepts or giving some mainstream shine to some concepts that people probably aren't familiar with. Uh, most specifically these seven soldiers of victory, because mm-hmm. uh the uh, Shining Knight becomes a very big part of this show. And yeah. I called him out as soon as I saw him and I saw the the name tag that the uh, janitor had on his, uh, his uniform that said Justin. And listening to the way he talked, I was like, oh my God, is this an Easter egg or would they really do this? And then we got to an episode actually called The Shining Knight. And I was like... And we are off to the races. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm kind of disappointed we didn't get full Pegasus or, you know, Shining Knight in his full armor with the no beard. They, they deprived us of that. But the characterization of him as this slightly loopy guy who, um, Grail Seeker, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> and, and tying into the concept of the Seven Soldiers of Victory, who you see. Yeah, a, a old photo of, and I marked out like crazy when I saw that because you had Green Arrow and uh, Speedy and the Vigilante and the Crimson Avenger and Wing and all these characters you never thought you would see in in live action, um, but also the establishing of a Green Arrow in this continuity too. When yeah, but... we thought, oh, maybe, I guess Green Arrow's off limits, just Green Lantern, well, tell, telling stories about them may be off limits, but them being part of this universe is not. Uh, and it kind of harkens back to something as I've been reading, like I said, over the uh, last week, I read all of stars and stripe and shining night is uh, a big part of that series as well. Uh, and he makes mention of at one time, like having his memories uh, kind of jumbled in a race. Like he didn't know who he was uh like post a uh, a bit of time travel adventure mm. and he even had the beard look scraggly and everything uh and was uh i believe he actually was a janitor in the school 
Okay. Uh, like all of that ties back to what Jeff Johns did with the character. Although in the comics, uh, I guess Jeff likely got word that his book was going to be canceled pretty early on. So he had to kind of cram a lot into a very small space, but here he gets a little bit more room to tell that story and mm -hmm. slowly bring Sir Justin back around and to fully introduce us to the shining Knight. And there is the whole missing Pegasus story that plays out uh, in the comics, although Dragon King is directly responsible for that. And well, okay. kind of feels like his story's a bit wrapped up. Uh, yeah. I, I think Dragon King's, uh, let's just say his, his, he, he, we won't see him for a while. <laughs> now his, uh, that arc is wrapped up, but the search for Pegasus or the, uh, the search for his uh, Pegasus like horse uh, named victory, I believe is, uh, yes, is going to continue uh, on into season two along with, uh, I don't want to spoil it because the show is still very new and people need to just go see it. But there yeah. is a, a big surprise return uh, at the end of season one that I did not expect and am like very intrigued by. And then there was the uh, the tease of a major DC villain yes. uh, coming in for season two that uh, – could be hints to what Jeff maybe wanted to do if uh, the series, his original comic series, hadn't been canceled uh, when it was. So, well, and that that major villain did play a big role in the uh, JSA book too. Yeah, so, very true. Uh, so maybe he was able to use that his ideas. But now we get to see how they were originally may have been him wanting to to play out. But oh, I'm so excited. Uh, I just hope we don't don't have to wait a year and a half for this show. To come back uh, I'm right there with you man I'm like let's let's hope they get to to film this reasonably soon uh, uh you know maybe maybe 2021 we'll see uh a return to uh enough of a state of normalcy that people can get back to uh to making things being creative uh but we'll see we're still a, you know a few months away from that and uh but only a couple of months away from Hopefully, being able to make a uh, a big and major, much needed change for uh, for our own country's sake. So let's let's put there let's put our best foot forward in November, people. So yes, uh, yes. So so uh, we are an apolitical podcast. I the, the opinions of the co-hosts, not necessarily the opinions of Lilo. Oh wait, I, I'm the one who's telling you to socially distance and wash your hands. So this, I guess we were political from the beginning. The last thing I will talk <laughs> about or about the show, I really appreciate how um, kind of that old Spider-Man adage of teenager versus his faculty, you know, the villains are oh, the, yeah, yeah. the teachers, you know, that we've yeah. seen that before. And we have kind of that idea in the runaways show where there's the generation of adults and the teens are the heroes and the adults are the villains. But um, I appreciated that quite a bit too. We we haven't talked about the fiddler who was the principal of the school, kind of a uh, a next generation fiddler, and then she's going to have a legacy character too. Pretty much all the Injustice Society have legacies except for the <laughs> except for the gambler. Yeah, except for uh, gambler who is the poor uh, gambler. Yeah, Here's I mean, a cat. he he was funny though. Uh, yeah, great character, and they made him more of a tech. Like the calculator or somebody. 
which was a really cool way of uh, kind of reinventing him. Uh, again, smart, smart writing and smart character reinventions and reclamations, which is, uh, as we've said before, Jeff Johns does that better than anybody. And uh, that's why it feels like, you know, if you're going to give anybody these older and legacy characters and say, hey, we need them uh, to be a you know, rejiggered, uh, reinvented for the modern era. I couldn't think of anybody better to hand them to. And I think this first season of this show proves that that is absolutely correct. Uh, best, best new show of this past season for me. Oh uh, yeah. Without question. It was, yeah, well, I won't say Watchmen. It's kind of a different animal uh, than Watchmen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Watchmen plays more like a, a straight up miniseries. If we're just talking like in terms of like best show yeah. overall, I think, yeah. yeah, Watchmen takes it, but well, we're talking about an ongoing series that is meant to be as long as you can possibly make it. Uh, Stargirl is fun for the whole family. And I don't mean that to sound like, oh, it's a quote unquote kids show. No, no I mean, I mean, literally everybody in the family can sit down and watch this and find something to really love in it. And that's and a great bulldog show. If you like bulldogs. Uh, Man, I loved that they threw the bulldog in there. I was like, yep. that's, and that's another little Jeff John signature. Uh, the uh, the cute bulldog. Oh, but that reminds me. There's another character in the show who is wildly different from his uh, his comics counterpart, and that is uh, Pat Dugan's son, Mike. Mikey, yeah. Uh, in the show, he's there from the jump, uh, and we don't really hear much about his mom, uh, Mike is just a, uh, a fast talking, real slick kind of like fun, uh, comic relief character. You know, he's the, he's the mischievous, uh, mm-hmm. stepbrother, uh, type, but you find him endearing. Like he's, he's fun. He's a bit of a con artist, but he's, he's good at what he does and he's not uh, a bad kid at all in the comics. We're not introduced to him until almost halfway through uh, the series' existence, and he's had uh, a pretty rough go of life up to that point. Like he's been in a military academy. He's uh, got a a little bit of a villainous streak. Whenever he's first introduced, he thinks that he's owed the uh, uh, the cosmic converter belt that he should be the new Star Spangled mm-hmm. Kid. Like that, it go, it's a whole thing between him and Courtney, uh, which they eventually do get worked out. You know, he he eventually becomes much more like what you see on the uh, the television show, but a bit older. Like he and Courtney are pretty close to the same age. In the TV show, he's clearly much younger, uh, and that's. That, that was another little thing that just stuck out to me as I was uh, reading the series. I was like, you know, it seems like Jeff really hit on the idea of what he wanted that character to be by the time he got to the end of his book. And he decided to just start there uh, when the TV show came around. And I think it was better for it. It also made, I think, uh, positioning Mike that way in the show made Courtney a better character. Yeah, I, I think gave them more to do. Uh, you had more of a story to tell the rivalry playing out the uh, why, why am I not getting, getting the goodies? Uh, Also, we should say that Courtney is under the impression that Starman is her dad throughout the the series. Which is, uh, which, you know, would explain why the rod staff uh, responds to her 
but is she in for quite an awakening? Because Starman dies right away, or we think he dies anyway, with the, the rest of the JSA. And uh, she, she, she only has fuzzy memories of her dad, and her mom doesn't shut it down, unfortunately. She's yeah. it, it's kind of concerning to me. That is one of the weirdest aspects of the show, and one of the things that still bugs me uh, now is – why didn't she just look at a picture of Starman? I mean, she should have had a picture of her dad somewhere and been able to do like a little side-by-side comparison and say, hmm, yeah, these are not the same people. Uh, because uh, – so Yeah, it's kind of a – what am I thinking? Yeah. Is it maybe a, a cell phone – error of cell phone um, plot contrivance? Yeah, there's uh, a little bit of the mandala effect uh, mm. going on there. Uh, she also uh, actually – does meet up with her actual father in the show as she does in the very last issue of the uh, stars and stripes series. And that scene plays out very much the same way. It's like they, you know, have a reunion where her dad proves to be a, a real you know piece mm-hmm. of shit. Uh, although the, the way that winds up in the comic differs Yes, in, in one major aspect. To well, the they may show. tell that story later too. They may, we may not have seen the end of. Uh, I don't. Courtney's bio dad. Yeah, I don't think we have. I think there's more to it, uh, and I think that they were dropping big hints about mm-hmm. uh, his connection to the cosmic staff. So, there, there is certainly more to this, and I hope that they do follow up on it. But uh, the way that. Sh- that story ended in the comics. I didn't find nearly as satisfying as the way it ended in the show. Yeah. Well, um, I think, I think Luke Wilson was the one that made it really work yeah. because you see all this investment he's put into Courtney and the relationship with her. Um, and you believe that he would be a guy who would uh, just by being awesome and being comforting and being empathetic would help her get over that. Uh, and he did. Like He was, he becomes this really amazing uh, uh, father figure in the show. And like, that's, that's one of the, the things that makes it so that mm-hmm. also makes it so good is that you believe this family dynamic and that, uh, that Pat is a genuinely uh, good dad who is, you know, caught in this unbelievable, crazy situation, but is trying his hardest to make a good life for, for his family. Uh we haven't mentioned much of Barbara, but you know she's she's there, she's yeah, fine. Uh, 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 yeah, she's coming. Hey, Amy long, Smart. Uh, yeah, Amy Smart has come a long way since the uh, whipped cream bikini yep. days. Yeah. Uh, she is. She serves her role really well whenever she's there. Uh, she is definitely the supporting role of the show. Uh, and. Uh, Near the end, she's a little bit. Uh, you st- you get to see a little bit more of her usefulness. Like she starts to, uh, you know, become more involved in the main plot rather than just being the mom, which is what she is for a large portion of the show. Uh, and uh, speaking of other characters that we haven't really like mentioned uh, a whole lot of, uh, Yolanda Montez is yep. Wildcat too on the show, and uh, I thought that. Uh, the actress playing her, uh, who is uh, Yvette Mon- uh, Monreal, uh, she is she is really good with uh, with Breck Basinger. They have 
really awesome yeah. together. And her story is like very modern tragic. Uh, it's it's one of those stories that's very scary, I think, for parents of young girls. Uh, and they handle that pretty well in the show. Uh, and I think that's another th- reason that this show could be very relatable to younger audiences is that it's dealing with problems that, you know, like you and I, when we were in school, we didn't have that stuff to deal no. with. Uh, kids today are dealing yeah, with speaking that. Speaking of cell phones, yes. Um, yeah, like the... I also, you send your nudes to kids. Yeah, I also like that they didn't give us that uh, exposition right away. We had to really wait and see how the dynamic between uh, Yolanda and Cindy or Yolanda and Hank, how it was established. And then we got the flashback a little bit later, a couple episodes later. And I, I appreciated that. Um, really enjoyed her as Wildcat, too. Uh, yeah. Better the, than the Arrow's Wildcat. That's for damn sure. Yes, uh, that that weren't a good wildcat. This oh. is a really good wildcat. Uh, and like I said, I was a I'm a big fan of her. The and as I mentioned before, uh, Angelica Washington as uh, yeah. Beth Cha- Beth Cha- as yeah. uh, Doctor Midnight too. Love her. Think she is so good on the show. Uh, uh, just a, a bright, cheery spot mm. uh, in and amongst all this stuff. And then of course you've got. Uh, Cameron Gelman as uh, Rick Tyler, the second hour man, uh, who doesn't really become all that likable of a character to me until the very last episode. Takes a while. Yeah, he's he's kind of he he's feels older, older than the rest to me. Um, you know, they they all are apparently 20 somethings playing teenagers. He's the one who felt the oldest, yeah. had the chip on his shoulder. I, I did like the character growth you, ha- you saw of his arc. Uh, with him and trying to get revenge for his parents' murder and uh, eventually getting to really see him lean into the powers of our man uh, and how, how all that works. Yeah, Did his, not enjoy the Grundy CGI at all, all the time, but you know, they in a world where you have Hulk and doomsday and these CGI characters to, to, to ask that of Solomon Grundy, who doesn't say a whole lot. It is much, but it was great that they was, waited until the very end for that fight scene. Yeah, the and the first time you see Grundy in the first episode, and then in the flashbacks of him like killing uh, mm-hmm. our uh, Rick's parents, uh, that CGI was not good. But his, uh, I thought the fight with Stripe uh, and eventually the uh, the brief fight with uh, with our man, I mm-hmm. thought that I thought that all looked pretty good. I struggled. Uh, with the close-ups, I think. I think with the facial yeah. facial stuff, I didn't like. Yeah, whenever you're like really focused in on uh, what the character's profile looks like, whenever you get that like close-up of the the mug, it's mm-hmm. it's a little tough to to really get like lost, I guess, in the uh, in the show. It's it's like uh, this is going to take you out of it a little bit. Yeah, he felt but, very Hulk. Like as far as the fighting style and the just the overall silhouette, I I got very strong Hulk vibes, and I just maybe wish yeah. they went a little different direction. Uh, but like you said, I, I, it was good that they saved Solomon mm-hmm. Grundy for the end, and they didn't give him a ton of screen time. Uh, he's there when they absolutely needed him to be for a purpose, and then we move on from him. 
because the show is not about gigantic CGI creatures. It's about these kids. And that's, that is its strongest point and exactly why it works so well. Yeah. Your core four JSA plus stripes stripe, I guess is what we call the robot. Now stripe is the robot. Yes. Um, that's your team. That's your, your core of the show going forward. And, uh, Mission accomplished, Jeff Johns. Very, very well done as far as updating these characters and these legacies for a modern audience. And I, my sons got into it. I hope uh, other kids get to see it, especially maybe young, late, closer to teens, preteens, because there is some darkness. There's some child death, which is crazy. Uh, my son was not expecting that, but everything went okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and who knows, you know, the, these characters exist in places other than the screen there are comics read the comics find maybe there'll be some ya star girl stuff being published now yeah that's a big hope i hope that this reinvigorates people's uh interest in the character of uh of courtney uh and the legacy that she is a part of uh as well that that entire starman legacy uh, like go back and read that James Robinson run, which you can find on mm-hmm. the DC, DC Universe app. Go check that out. Check out Jeff Johns' run on JSA because I actually have read that part of it. The uh, stuff that was written by uh, David Goyer and James Robinson I hadn't checked out until very recently, and it's also incredibly good. Oh, very so, good, yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's a strong run of comics for a very long time. And yeah, like we said, DC Universe has every issue of it. You can go check it out right now. It's well worth your time. Um, mm-hmm. But another reason that I think this show is is working so well and why it's clearly such a passion project for uh, for Jeff Johns is something that we haven't mentioned yet, and it's Not that uh, the character of Courtney Whitmore, uh, Star Girl, is uh, based on uh, Jeff's sister, Courtney who died in the uh, TWA flight 800 disaster uh, back on July 17th, 1996. Uh, A lot of people died in this. Uh, It was a 212 passengers, uh, 230 people total on, uh, on this aircraft that exploded over the Atlantic and crashed into it. Uh, So uh, Jeff's sister among them. Uh, So this was a, this is a very, personal and passion project uh for jeff and uh i do have to say that that scene there's a scene in the final episode of the season uh i think you'll recall that it's uh during christmas time it's snowing outside and courtney just goes for a fly like she just goes yeah. for a little flight with the staff and it's the last scene the very last scene i think of the show uh, it's almost you get the stingers after that yeah that's true that's right that's too. right but uh, this is the last time you see Courtney uh, in season one, and she and Stripe uh, just go for a, a flight through this snow-covered uh, town, like the snow-covered uh, area of Blue Valley. Blue Valley, and, Nebraska. Yeah. And it's it's such a um, it's a dialogue-less scene. It's all done with uh, a, you know just music playing in the background and them just flying away together. And I thought, man, this is, this is a moving moment. I think this is the moment that Jeff really wanted to get on screen because, uh, right 
after that, uh, I think it's uh, the screen pops up and says, uh, in loving memory of Courtney mm-hmm. or, or, uh, for Courtney. Uh, and that's, I was like, that was, this was the most personal thing I think I've seen Jeff do. Oh yeah. And that's why it's so powerful. Why it works so well is because he really put his heart and soul into it. And this was a, a guy putting his, uh, you know, putting his feelings out there, putting himself out there in a way that uh, artists, you know, try to, and, uh, you know, some of them so rarely fully accomplish. But uh, he had something personal to say, and if this was his way of saying, you know, he misses his sister and that he wanted to find a way to immortalize her. And I would mm-hmm. say, uh, sir, job well done. Yeah, uh you can only imagine or speculate how how much those memories are now crystallized or changed and how he's been able to work through uh, his loss with this. And just a terrible tragedy, but a wonderful memorial. And uh, if this character inspires girls to get into gymnastics, get into athletics, uh, just be the optimist and the uh, positive force that Courtney is in the books and the show uh, – that that's pretty pretty much pretty very special that Jeff's been able to do that and, and um you know a uh, pretty significant way of working through your grief is in in this creative foray you know and and we know uh we have a friend of Jeff's that we are friends with you know he's a friend yeah. of a friend and so um knowing some of the stuff ab- about this it's it, it's really I'm trying to find the right word. Really emo to me. It's very, very <laughs> emotional, very, very uh, substantial. Yeah, it's, it's this emotional journey that uh, that we've all been taken on by a by a brother who lost you know, a sibling, lost uh, a part of himself, but uh, was able to maybe get some of that back by creating a character who is just so absolutely wonderful and uh, in a show that I think we all hope will endear for a really long time to come. Yeah. Uh, I hope we get at least seven seasons, seven seasons in a movie. Yeah, there we go. Seven seasons in a movie. I've been watching community lately too. So that's <laughs> a great callback there. Uh, but with that, I think that's going to bring this episode uh, to an end. Yeah. And it has been fun, Todd, talking about uh, Stargirl and getting to talk about uh, Stars and Stripe, the comics, and getting to talk about the JSA, the JSA, and all the the possibilities uh, for where obvious. this this may go. Yeah, we're all we're all big time hoping that we'll be able to to get a lot more of this uh, as as the years go by. So. Uh, with that, uh, we'd love to hear what you guys thought of the first season of Stargirl. Hit us up uh, on the uh, the Twitter machine. You can find me at Russell underscore Sellers. You can find Todd at at Todd Weber Guitar, and uh, we also have our podcast feed on Twitter. It's at Lillo Podcasts. So we'll be continuing to develop the social and develop the uh, I want to say firmware or the, the delivery method of yeah. these shows but uh however you find it we we are thankful that you found it and uh spread the word and be looking for new episodes of dc for you in the coming weeks 
yes, we will be back talking about all sorts of things uh, in the coming weeks, all things DC, because the whole point of this show is to say that yes. uh, no matter what you've heard, there is something at DC for you. So with that, we hope that you guys go out, enjoy you some good comics, enjoy Stargirl, go check out that first season on DC mm-hmm. Universe, uh, stream it there. You can get it in 4K if you stream it there without commercials too. So that's that's another big plus. Uh, enjoy it while you can because it's going to move over to HBO Max soon. Uh, and with that, folks, we will see you all next time. DC for you. 